And I think right now, while the Spirit is moving, the choir sang it, we abandonly worship. I think we need to redefine abandonly. I think we need to push the limits back on the things that are holding us back. I believe that the Lord desires for us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Somebody say amen. And today I want to read out of Deuteronomy chapter 4, or chapter 6 and verse 4. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Jesus said, every law and every commandment hang on these, on first this commandment, and secondly, love thy neighbor as thyself. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Somebody say praise the Lord. You can be seated. The first commandment dealt with the who of worship. Thou shalt love the Lord our God is one Lord. The first commandment deals with who you worship. Everybody say who. The second commandment deals with How you worship. The first commandment says he's one Lord. He is our God and he's one Lord. That's who you worship. The second commandment tells you how to worship. Love that one Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The first commandment forbids false gods. The second commandment forbids false worship. So in reality, the second commandment is a command that is meant to teach us true worship. Everybody say true worship. Martin Luther stated, whatever your heart clings to or relies on is your God. Whatever your heart clings to or relies on is your God. Dr. W.N. Temple, a British preacher, defined worship like this. For to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, and to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. You will not do anything unless you want to do it. You will not do anything unless you want to do it. A person is a free moral agent. God is not going to come down to your seat and make you a worshiper. God will not make you do anything you do not want to do. It should be, with that said, it should be the desire of every believer to worship God. It should be the desire of every born again child of God. There should be a want in you. I want to worship God. Come on, let's not stop worshiping God. In fact, this is a worship service. How many want to worship God? 
Come on, do that just for a minute. I just want to worship God. I just want to worship. Come on, God's going to take us somewhere today. I just want to worship. You say, well, I, I, I need help with that, want to, okay? Well, then let me remind you of his simple blessings. Everybody say simple. We're not, we're, we'll go to the complicated ones, but let's start with the simple ones. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says, In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I don't need to remind you, and I will, some of you have been given some very complicated, miraculous things. But he has given all of you simple blessings. In everything give thanks. Need I remind you that the oxygen you're breathing today, he literally puts breath in your lungs. There's water to to, uh, quench your thirst. You're going to leave here today and by the provision of God, you're going to be gratified with food today. I need to understand that I can thank God for the simple things. I'm not laying in the hospital fighting for my life today. God's been good to me. I've got a right to praise him, but I've got a want to praise him. Sister Claudette Littrell, Sister Claudette Littrell, a a, a faithful saint of God in the Donovan Church, 66 years old, got a type of cancer that my wife mentioned this morning. Her uncle Leo's been battling this type of cancer for years and years. Claudette Littrell contracted this type of, or was diagnosed with this type of cancer. It's not usually fatal, uh, and so she entered into chemotherapy. They gave her their first dose of chemotherapy, and she reacted to that chemotherapy. She stopped breathing. They put her on a breathing machine. She was there for a number of hours, and last night she went to be with the Lord at 66 years of age, thinking she was battling a sickness that she was going to get better from. I want to tell you you've got you've got every impetus to worship God today. You think about what he has not done, but I want to remind you of the simple blessings. You didn't have to walk to church today. You got clothes on your back. You got more than enough food in your house. You got a freezer full and a refrigerator full. You've got the sun over your head. You've got rain on your crops. Oh, I'm not gonna hold my peace. I'm not gonna hold my want. I'm gonna ask God to help me to want to worship him for I'm blessed. Come on. I'm blessed. I'm more than blessed. I got more than a reason. I just need the want to. Where am I in terms of worshiping God? I want you to ask yourself, where are you in terms of worshiping God? You say, well, I I don't know if I really need to do anything. Well, we'll get to that. But I want to remind you not only of his simple blessings, I want to remind you of his special blessings. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. And I made all my intentions to get the the computer people all these scriptures and and I forgot them laying on my desk. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. His special blessings. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're special. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness 
with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. <laughs> but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted it after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The Bible says not only do you have simple blessings, you've got life, you've got the sun above you, you've got air to breathe, and you're standing in church today. You've got clothes, and you've got food, you've got a house, you've got a family, you've got a chair to sit on you got a car to drive home he didn't have to do any of that for me but I'm here today to worship God because I'm content with the clothes and the food come on you gotta have the want to to worship God I want to I uh, I walked in a, <laughs> I call it a barn. It's, it's really a glorified storage facility. I walked in a 30 by 50 building that I'm privileged to own. And my first thought was, man, somebody needs to clean this place up. My second thought was, where did I get all this stuff? And today I'm realizing, man, hadn't God been good to me? I got a zero turn mower. Now you say, well, what does that have to do with church? I don't know about you, but I could be clipping grass with some hand clippers. I could be using one of those old, uh, the clipper version that, that, you know, you just, no motor, no gas, none of that needed. I got a zero turn. I jump on it, start it up. In a matter of a few minutes, I got the yard mode. I got saws. I got axes. I got rakes. I got a chainsaw. I've got chains. I've, man, uh, I should just go down through the list. I got motor oil. I got oil filters. I got a tent. I got a wood stove. I got a tractor. I got a boat. I got golf. And I could go on and on. But I want to tell you something. The Lord says you should not be content because you have stuff. If you've got clothes on your back and food on your table. You ought to praise God this morning. There ought to be something rise up in you that says, Lord, I don't have everything I want, but I sure have everything I need. I'm going to worship God today. I said, I'm going to worship God today. Do I feel like it? No, but I want to. Oh, I said, I want to. Not only has he been specially good to us. I said specially good to us. Some of you got more stuff. You just need to have a yard sale. You're so discontented and you got a lot more than clothes and food. 
Deuteronomy 15 and 5, I want to tell you now about his supreme blessings. Not only has he simply blessed you, and not only has he given you special blessings, he has given you supreme blessings. I'm preaching to some of the most blessed people under the face of the earth today. Deuteronomy 5, 15. And remember, here's something you need to remember. That you were a servant in the land of Egypt. You were a slave when you were lost. And that the Lord your God brought you out through a mighty hand by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded you to keep this Sabbath day. This ought to be a special day to you because it was the miraculous power of God that brought you out of Egypt. He saved you. He didn't have to. Help me out, Brother Rob. He saved you. He didn't have to. He cleaned you up. He didn't have to. He forgave all your sins. He didn't have to. Somebody shout praise the Lord. I want to remind you of your past. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody was a sinner. And I know some of us feel like you have to have a track record to be a worshiper. You got to be perfect to be a worshiper. If I really begin to worship God, some, you know what you said to your wife this week. You know what you did. And you say, well, you know what? They're going to think I'm a hypocrite. You know, it just doesn't matter what people think. The Bible says all have sinned. I was privileged to sit in a service where a, a dear man of God, a pastor of one of our great Pentecostal churches, he's got a son that's walked away from God and is addicted to drugs and alcohol. And that man began to share his testimony about how embarrassed he felt because of all people that should be serving God, it's the preacher's kid. And there is his kid bound by alcohol and bound by drugs. He's been in and out of rehab. They begin to name how many rehabs he'd been in and how many facilities he'd been to and, and all the things that had gone on. And, just, and as they begin to share your heart, your heart broke with theirs because they invested their lives in the kingdom of God only to see their children make a choice to walk out on God and do whatever they want to do. He began to, he began to share what God began to deal with him about. And he said uh, his son was going to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And he said, you know, over the years I've had my thoughts about Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, but my son wanted me to go with him to his first AA meeting. He said, I walked in the AA meeting and I was a little proud. And, and uh, I, I felt a little embarrassed because here's the preacher going to the AA meeting. And he said, the first thing I noticed is they went around the room and they said what their name was. And he said, what got a hold of me, he said, there was a man sitting there that had been sober for over 20 years. He named the years, I can't remember exactly, but it was, uh, it was a, a long time. It was over 20 years, I know. And he was sitting in that room and he said, I'm so-and-so and I've been sober for 20-something years. And he said, everybody stopped and they all started clapping. And they clapped and cheered and gave him the thumbs up. And then he went on to share some of the struggles he dealt with and how he came through things. He said, I, I was, you know, I was thankful for that. He said, but then they came around this little fellow that was sitting there in the chair. And he said, hello, my name is so-and-so. And he said, I've been sober for 24 hours. 
And he said, everybody started clapping and gave him the thumbs up and started cheering. And he said, all of a sudden it struck me that there was an environment right there where the person that had been sober for over 20 years got the same hand clap as the guy that had been sober for 24 hours. I want to tell you that ought to be the way it is in the house of God. No, I'm going to say it again. You don't have to have 20 years of faithfulness to be a worshiper. No, I'm going to say it again. You don't have to be perfect to be a worshiper. You just got to be saved. You just got to be thankful. You just got to have the want to. Come on, somebody ought to praise him. Somebody ought to worship him right now. We abandonly worship. Come on. I know. I'm going to hit it right now. I'm just going to hit it right square in the face right now. I'm going to say something about it. I am. You do not have an excuse to sit in that white chair and pass your judgment on somebody that's made up their mind to worship God. You better be really careful about your critical attitude about who they are and what they did and their track record and who you think they are. No, I'm going to say it. If they've been sober 24 hours, I want them to know this is a place they're welcome. I want them to know they're not a stranger here. I don't want them to be more... I don't want them to be more accepted by the world. The place they ought to feel the most accepted is at the table of the Lord. This is where they ought to experience the most love. This is where they ought to have the most support. Right here. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord. You have no idea the battles they've been through. You have no idea where God brought them from. You have no concept of the victories that's been won. Oh, I know, you're real good at telling how insufficient they are. You can see all their failures and some of them are wide open to you. But you don't know what God's done in them. I've heard people make comments about people who worship in certain ways. And they don't. I said the devil's trying to kill a good sermon. But I got another microphone. (laughs) devil don't want you to hear this. Well, maybe it's just the battery. Maybe it's not the devil at all, but it's sure kind of fishy to me. You have no idea where they've come from. You have no idea what they've been through. In fact, there are some people sitting on the sound of my voice that if you knew their story, it would shock you what they've been through. You would wonder why they're not in the institution today. And you know what? They're here. No, they're not perfect. But you know what? They're here to worship God. 
Some of you thought, well, I wish pastor would sit them down. Have you ever thought you wish pastor would get you up? (laughs) While you're saying, I wish you'd do something about that exuberant worship, you know what I'm thinking? I wish you'd get your carcass out of your chair. If you were worshiping, you wouldn't even notice what they're doing. If you were doing what you were supposed to do, you wouldn't even know what they're doing. Hey, let me give you something else to think about. You are not going to get to heaven and the Lord say you weren't judgmental enough. You know why I know that? You can be judgmental by yourself. You don't need God to move on you at all to be judgmental. You can do that all by yourself. But you know what you need and you need a supernatural baptism of it for you to even have it. It's called love. You can't even love without the Holy Ghost in your heart. So you better be real careful about your judgmental attitude because when you get to heaven, I believe you're going to hear you didn't love enough. So I'm calling everybody, all takers, do you want to worship today? It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you've got it all together. It just means my past is forgiven. I've been saved. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Where are you in worship? Where are you, sir? Oh, come on, clap your hands and praise the Lord. It smote me. It smote me to my very core. I couldn't hardly hold it together. When that pastor was sitting there in Alcoholics Anonymous, say whatever you want. But I want to tell you, maybe you need, maybe I need to pray this attitude on you. When I hear stuff like this, my first thought is, I'm going to stand in judgment against that right there. Now you can pass it off and say what you want about it. But I know, I'm going to hear it again. And it's going to be in the judgment. It's like, my, I'll tell you where I caught it. I caught it when my pastor saw those Muslims on a plane ride all the way to the Middle East. They were going to visit. And those Muslims got out in the, middle, in the aisle of the airplane when it came time to pray. And they rolled out their little mats. And they got down and faced the east and stuck their forehead on the, on the floor of that airplane. And my pastor unbuckled his seatbelt. And when they asked him where he was going, he said, I want to tell you where I'm going. There is no way somebody that doesn't know Jesus like I I know him. They're not going to pray more than me. They're not going to out-worship me. They're not going to get ahead of me. So y'all stay in your chair if you want to, but I'm getting out in the aisle and I'm going to have a prayer meeting. See, you can give all your excuses, but the fact of the matter is you're going to answer for that. Now, I don't want Alcoholics Anonymous getting ahead of the acceptance of this people. It smote me to my very core when he said I was sitting there and my head started spinning and I heard him clapping for the same guy that just for 24 hours hadn't taken a drink and everybody had a party. He said, I got convicted. And then he said, they went through their tenets, their foundations. He said, they got to the third one. The third one. 
And he said, when they said the third one, he said, I never forgot it. He said the third one was to be a part of Alcoholics Anonymous. All you have to have is the desire to quit drinking. He said all of a sudden I started thinking about all the requirements and all the hoops I try to make people jump through. What would happen if we say, you know what? All we want to know when you walk in that door is do you have a desire to know God, to be holy, to worship God? Doesn't mean you got it all together. We'll handle all that. Doesn't matter you understand it. Hey, there's a way to alleviate all that. But right now, let's just celebrate somebody walking in and saying, I want to be there. I want to be there. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I was a sinner. Here I am. I want to remind you of your present condition. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Listen. Verse 9 says, You are saved by grace through faith and this not of yourselves. You hear that? Everybody that tells you works don't matter, they don't read the very next verse. You are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. You can't do anything to be saved. But verse 10 says you are his workmanship. Call to good works. Yes, you should have good works. And you tell the devil to get behind you because they're not quoting the Bible right. Because if I am saved, he's called me to be good. You've been called, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has ordained that we should walk in them. Everybody say, I'm saved. But not only that, I want to remind you of your future. 1 John 3 and 2, beloved, now are we the sons of God. and It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we... I want you to know you will not always be struggling. You will not always have pain. You will not always be battling sickness. <laughs> so if that's the case, if I was a sinner, but now I'm called to salvation, and I've got a promise that I don't even know how it's going to happen, but one day all my troubles are going to be over, then it makes me want to worship God. It makes me want to clap my hands. It makes me want to shout with my voice. It does not yet appear. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it doesn't appear yet. You don't know yet. The only example you have is Jesus. I don't want you to ever forget that. The only example of what is coming is Jesus. And Jesus, in this present time, the Bible tells us we know this, that he's still got scars in his hands and in his feet. So what wounds you may never disappear, but you're going to have the power to carry it. What you think is killing you may take you out of this earthly body, but it doesn't have the power to destroy your soul. No, no you didn't hear me. 
Jesus said, don't be afraid of what can kill your body, but be afraid of what can destroy your soul. You know what that means? I'm not going to let bitterness get a hold of my soul because God won't heal me of cancer. No, you're not hearing me. I am not going to be more afraid of what can kill my body and harbor things that can destroy my soul. I've, heard, I've seen people battle sickness and get so mad at God it robbed them of their salvation. They were more afraid of their sickness than they were what was going on in their soul. Job said, though he slay me, nothing's getting to my trust. You got a right to praise the Lord today, to be a worshiper. Worship involves clapping, which is an uninhibited excitement. Today, the four remaining NFL teams are going to clash the battle of titans. There are going to be people in the stands that clap. It means they're excited. When somebody has a birthday at the restaurant, the little mariachi band comes out and they sing their little song and everybody claps. It's excitement. Some of you haven't clapped one time today. You're not excited. I wonder what you clap for. I'm here to ask you, where are you in terms of your worship? Oh, no. You'll clap for your granddaughter's birthday party. You'll clap when she blows out the candles, but you'll cross your arms in church and sit there like a rock stone and not do anything. I wonder what really excites you. Well, I, I don't know if I've ever seen an instrument of ten strings. There's a six-string guitar, and there's a four and a five and a six-string bass. I don't know if I've ever seen a ten-stringed instrument, but I got one on the, each of, on the end of my arms. I've got ten good instruments right here, ten good strings right here. <laughs> and I'm going to use them. I'm going to play them because God's been it means I'm excited. You know clapping means you're excited. Is there anybody excited that you're saved? You say, "Well, why do y'all clap so much?" You know why? Because we're excited. That's why. Come on, clap your David said in Psalms 47, "Oh, clap your hands all ye people." You know what else? Worship involves shouting. And, and let me just correct, let me just correct some misnomers. This is not shouting. That's dancing. That's not shouting. Shouting is using your voice. It means you are exclaiming something. I've been discussing things with some of my family members, and they say, why are you shouting? I say, oh, I'm not shouting. You want to hear me shout? Anybody ever said that? Now, my voice may not be the inside voice, but I'm not shouting yet. In fact, somebody says, well... Why do you get so worked up when you're preaching? Well, I, just to, just to put it bluntly, I'm exclaiming. You know, at the end of a sentence, there's, there's different 
uh, punctuations. You know whether a sentence is a question or a statement by the way it's punctuated. You know whether it's a quote by the way it's punctuated. You know it's an exclamation. It's all caps for all you new millenniums. It means you're exclaiming. No low, no, 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 uh, what? Lowercase. This is a high case. This is a case for big letters. This is a case for big words. I got something to shout. Jesus loves you. I'm not going to whisper it because I want to exclaim it. I want to punctuate it. So every once in a while in church, it's okay to shout, Hallelujah! It's okay to say God is good. He's holy. He's righteous. Somebody say praise the Lord. Psalms 47 that says, oh, clap your hands also says, shout unto God with a voice of weakness. Praise the Lord. No, it says like you've triumphed, like you've won the victory. Are you a winner? Then talk like it. Shout. Come on, let's, let's clap our hands and shout right now. I want to. I want to fill this gymnasium with the praises of God. I refuse to be intimidated. I've come to exclaim that Jesus is Lord, that I love him. Worship also involves not only clapping, which is excitement, and not only shouting, which is exclamation. It involves dancing, which is exhibition. Psalms 149 verse 3, let them praise his name in the dance. This is going to be a dancing church. I hope we raise a dancing generation. I wish we'd be just as free to dance as we were to clap. For some reason, we got this idea that there's got to be something really special if you're going to dance. Well, I want to tell you, I want to exhibit how he saved me. And the Bible says, you do that with a dance. I can't dance all night like I used to and I can't jump quite as high as I used to but he gave me joy in my feet he gave me joy in my hands he gave me joy in my soul hey this ought to be a dancing church we praise him where am I in terms of dancing? How long has it been since I danced? How long has it been since I shouted? How long has it been since I clapped? Come on, right now, praise the Lord, whatever way you want to praise him. Where am I in terms of my worship? Where am I in terms of my worship? Worship involves singing which is uninhibited expression. 
Let them sing praises unto him. It's uninhibited expression. I thank God for every song. It's the song of the redeemed. When we get to heaven, we are going to sing. We're going to sing redemption song. And I hasten to a close. It doesn't mean I'm going to be done in five minutes, but I want to talk for just a minute about a particular instance in John chapter 12, verse 1. I want to read it so you get the context of it. John 12 and 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him, speaking of Jesus. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me... You have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. The scene is a feast at Bethany in Simon the leper's house. What a story it is. How could they eat at the house of a leper? Well, How could they associate with a leper? You see, Jesus had healed that leper. He was no longer a leper. The feast was made to celebrate the miracle power of the Lord. And here in this home sits a man, the owner of the home, who has been living in isolation until Jesus healed him. Can you imagine the joyful sound when Simon returned home after being proclaimed clean by the priest? His wife, his kids were glad to have daddy and their husband back home. So after months and perhaps years of life with a disease that would literally eat away his flesh, he is now clean. No longer an outcast. He's celebrating the power of Jesus Christ. Who else is in attendance? Another citizen of that city, his name was Lazarus. He had a pretty serious disease himself. We don't know what it was, but we know it was very serious. For in a matter of days, that once happy young man was dead. And now he sits in this house. At the head table of this celebration... And what a celebration it was because there's the reminders of the miracle power of Jesus, a leper and a man who was dead. We find Lazarus' sister, Martha, who used to be careful and troubled about by many things, but tonight she's not worried any longer. She's in a good humor. 
Of course, she's still serving because that's how she functions. That was her ministry, but now she's not bitter about it. We don't find her being critical of others who are not washing dishes and getting the food rather ready. Perhaps she has matured somewhat and is willing to allow others to express their love to the Lord in their own way. But where is Mary? We find Mary at the feet of Jesus doing something incredible. Mary the seeker, the eager learner, the one who refuses to allow protocol to keep her from the feet of Jesus. She steps forward and she begins to worship Jesus. Jesus says the odor of what she did filled the entire room. Jesus would later say that everywhere the gospel is preached that what she did on this night would be spoken of. So this was not only something that affected the right now, it went into the future. Let me say it right now, folks, that what you do in this moment may not just fill this room with worship, it may be affecting your future. Anybody want your family saved? (laughs) Come on. What you do right now may not just fill this room with worship for a few minutes. It may affect your future. This same Mary, just a few days earlier, had wept by the grave of her brother, only to see him come forth after four days of being dead. This same Mary waited anxiously for an opportunity to honor the Lord. (laughs) He had been so good to her. And while Martha is expressing her devotion in a totally different way, Mary struggles within herself to find a way to express what she feels. (laughs) And that's what I want to close with. She got a hold of a spirit of worship. She got a hold of a spirit of worship that said, I've got to find a way to express my love. I can't sit here and let everybody do their own thing. I've got to be a participant. So Mary was not content to express her devotion the same way her sister did. And so it is with worship. Not that there's anything wrong with Martha's expression of love. It was not just what Mary was comfortable with. So a spirit of worship gets a hold of her. Let me tell you, worship cannot be copied. Worship cannot be faked. It can't be pretended. It's got to be real. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord right now. We are not attempting to cast a shadow over any other expression of devotion that is heaped on Jesus at this party. But you must admit that it was this controversial expression that gets all the press. It gets Jesus' attention. The point is, is that real worship doesn't care what anybody else thinks. 
When we are in the presence of the Lord, the only voice that bears listening to is that of the Savior. I'm telling you about a feast that was called to honor the Lord. Why is it that some folks come to the feast and allow other considerations to hinder the expression of their love for Jesus? Listen, the feast was all about Jesus. Let me say that again. The feast was all about Jesus. Are you wondering what this service is about? It's all about Jesus. So if you don't worship Him, you've missed the whole point. It's not to come see the people that He healed. It's not to come backslap and be glad to be seen. No, it's about celebrating the power of Jesus. And I've got plenty of evidence in this room that He's got all power. I said, I don't need to look no further than the front row of this church. I've got enough evidence on the front row of this church to praise the Lord in this worship service today. I've got enough evidence on the front row of this church to worship Him, to love Him. So, let me tell you about the preparation. What had to happen for all the food to be prepared, cleaning the house, moving the furniture, setting the table, and all that had already been done. And it was an expression of love. But now it comes time for us to recognize an expression of a little lady by the name of Mary. Let me say to you, we've sung the songs, we prayed the prayers, we'll take the offering in just a few minutes. We've shared testimonies, the choir sung. Now, the food's been prepared, the furniture's all been arranged. Now it's time for a spirit of worship to enter into this room. I love it when the singers sing and Lorena testifies about the goodness of God and we pray for the sick, I love all that. But I want to tell you, that's just getting the place ready for Jesus to show up. Now is the moment when a spirit of worship. See, a spirit of worship is not distracted by the trappings of the furniture or the food. Mary didn't care that there were other guests. She didn't care that perhaps people were still sipping on their coffee. She didn't care that dessert hadn't been served yet. No, it was time to worship. You see, when worship was expressed, it took the form of sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. No, there's a lot of you that don't feel like it. Worship is not meant to be an expression that comes out of our ease. It's an expression of sacrifice. When a spirit of worship takes over our hearts, it's an expression that will usually involve some type of sacrifice. So let's talk about that for a minute. There was a worshiper, but then there was also a sacrifice. And the Bible says what she offered was very costly. It was expensive. Everybody say expensive. The value of this ointment was placed at around 300 pence. Do your own study about how much that is in today's terms. 
No doubt it held a great monetary value and it was a sacrifice. You see, in those days there was no official morticians. Each family took care of preparing the body of the deceased family member themselves. They would have a, a, a set aside of ointment and it was probably saved by Mary for either her siblings or maybe to use on her own body would she die. But when she humbly brought that ointment forward and anointed Jesus, it was Jesus that said, I know what she's doing. She's anointing me for my burial. And usually you put this on a dead person. You didn't anoint them while they were alive. I mean, how, how uncouth would that be? Oh, Craig, I'm going to anoint you for your death. You see how that sounds? That means I think Craig's going to die. But that's exactly what Mary knew. She knew Jesus was going to die. Nobody else got it. In fact, the night he was betrayed, they didn't even understand it. But Mary knew he's going to die. She must have also known that he's not going to stay in that tomb. Remember, this is Lazarus' sister. And she's got ointment that you put on dead people. And she knows Jesus is going to die, but he's not going to stay dead. I might as well anoint him now. Come on, why are you waiting? Jesus is alive. He's on the throne. There's no sense to wait for a better moment. So Mary held back nothing. She, in fact, identified her death with his death. How she knew the Lord was soon to die, we're not quite sure, but Jesus said it. She knows I'm fixing to be buried. And while the others are willing to offer sacrifices that are lame and blind, a spirit of worship gets a hold of Mary and says, I'm going to give Jesus my best today. While others are offering lame, blind, worthless sacrifices, Mary says, I think he deserves my best. (laughs) Others offer spare moments, (laughs) but a spirit of worship wipes his feet with her hair. Have you ever thought about it? I mean, I could go off here and chase the rabbit about tithing, and that has to do with your money. But have you thought about tithing your time for worship? You have 24 hours in a day. You hearing me? That means you got two hours and about 40 minutes that you owe God every day in worship if you just tithe. All the time you do other stuff. How many hours would we have to stay here today if we just get a tithe of your worship? We give God 30 seconds or five minutes in an altar and we pat ourselves on the back and and think we've really given God something. Well, Lord, have I given you my best. So as I close today, please notice the manner in which this sacrifice was given. It was not begrudgingly given. It was not hastily thrown on the master. It was given with a wide open heart, freely. 
Now notice the influence of it. When it's freely given, Jesus said, or the word says, the house was filled with the odor of the worship. You see, a spirit of worship can get a hold of an entire church. Oh, I'm praying it happens. Let me tell you how important this is. In the tabernacle, the first piece of furniture that you came to was an altar. It was a place of death. Now, I know all of you like the smell of some steaks grilling, but steaks wasn't the only thing grilling on the altar. They burned up the dung. They burned up the hair. Have you ever smelt burning hair? We're not talking just T-bones. We're talking about the temple twice a day could really stink. It could stink. And the Bible tells us that twice a day they offered sacrifices on that altar. It's, no, it's not rocket science that also twice a day they would go in the inner court and they would go to that highest piece of furniture in the tabernacle and they would offer incense on that tabernacle. It was a type of worship. You know why? Because that was a place where you offer sweet smelling stuff. That means death out there smells terrible. Worship in here makes it smell good. I don't know what gets a hold of us to think that people need to walk in the door and smell our sacrifice. I don't know what gets a hold of us that we, need, we think people need to walk in and see us bearing the burden of holiness and, well, they'll see our sacrifice. No, that stinks to people. But what does cover the stench of the burden you're bearing? It is the worship of God's people that makes the house smell good. God, I pray, yes, God wants us to be holy, but he also wants us to worship. And if all people see is your burden. Come on, I want to tell you something. Maybe holiness would smell real good to somebody if you'd worship. Come on, clap your hands up. Oh, that's, that's enough said about that. I close. Man, I preached way too long. A spirit of worship. I'm praying it gets a hold of this church. So every service people walk in, they're like, man, what is this? It's like, a, it's like an aroma. And they don't see us moping around because we can't do this and we can't do that. And crying around in our Pepsi because we can't go here and we can't go there. No, Lord, fill this house with the aroma of worship. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see another Lynn Bloom walk in those glass doors right there. You know why? She come in with a bolero outfit. She had a little black leather vest and a little black miniskirt, black cowboy hat and black boots. And she walked in. You know what I'd like for the next Lynn to feel when she walks in? I'd like her to feel the dance floors open. I'd like for us to be such in a spirit of worship that the next Lynn Bloom walks in and thinks, well, maybe clapping's the way you do it. And she just starts clapping. And she says, well, they're all out kind of dancing. And she comes up here in her little bolero. I know that's crazy for all of you. But maybe if we could get her to smell worship. 
And she'd get up here in her cowboy boots and start doing, oh, I know. Brother Gene, you better put a stop to that. Or you look at your neighbor and go, wink, wink, wink. Yeah, we know. She don't know anything. No, you know what she knows? She smells something and she likes it. Where's that excitement? Where's that spirit of worship? Where did we get that critical attitude? Like Judas over there in the corner holding the bag. He started critiquing what one woman was doing for Jesus. Don't you ever forget it. She walks in the door and the only requirement is that she desires to be with Jesus. Am I all right? So there's Judas in the corner, the spirit of the criticizer. He attached value to everything. He could see no use for this kind of worship. There were better things to be done with this sacrifice. Do you see what happens when people lose sight of the one whom we worship? Do you see what happens when we lose sight of the one that the ointment is poured on. I'm going to say it again. See, if you lose sight of the one the party's about, then you start looking at who's worshiping and what they're doing to worship. But if you keep your eyes on the one that the party's about, there's criticizer in all of us. Judas at this party was one of them. Saul's daughter in the Old Testament was another. And David said, he got home. He got home. And she said, oh, what a show you put on today. Boy, you really cut a rug today, didn't you? Took off your garments and danced in your underwear. Check it out. Read it for yourself. That's what he stripped down to. Now, I know it was modest. I'm not talking about getting immodest. But he got down to his undergarments. And he got to dancing before the Lord. And his wife criticized him. From that day forward, they never had any children. We're talking about relationship. We're not talking about God smiting her where she can't have children. We're talking about she doesn't have children. And David said, you know what? I was pretty wild today. But I hope you're back in the house of God next Sunday. Because I'm going to be wilder than that. I wish when somebody decides to get out in the aisle and dance a little bit, you don't say, boy, they're really worshiping today. I wish you would say, you know what? I'm going to get wilder than that. I'm going to get more worshipful than that. I'm going to let God you." Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Those who can't appreciate true worship are called thieves. Thieves. Because they fail to understand that it all belongs to Jesus anyway. When we offer to God the sacrifices of our heart, we are really giving Him only what is rightfully already his and when we refuse that the Lord says Judas didn't like it because he was a thief 
He's the creator. He deserves our best. He's the source of all blessings. He deserves our adoration. It is a thief who wants to redirect the gift and turn sacrifice in another direction. It isn't a concern for the poor or a concern for anything else that causes these people to resent real worship. It is because they feel that being in the presence of real worship makes demands on them and they don't want anybody telling them what to do. These are demands that are they are unwilling to fulfill. So the worship must be attacked and they attack it. It was the spirit of the criticizer that made the statement recorded in Matthew 26, 8. To what purpose is this waste? You see, get your eyes off of the sacrifice and get your eyes on the one who deserves everything we can give him. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. We're going to abandonly worship for the next few minutes. We're going to, in just a minute, we're just going to worship God. We're just going to worship God. Now, I want to focus on one more thing, the word waste. Everybody say waste. Judas said, to what purpose is this waste? Everybody say waste. This word waste is the same word used by the Lord in referring to Judas when he said he is the son of perdition. Isn't it amazing that what Judas said just a few days before Jesus' betrayal is the same word Jesus used when he described Judas. Judas looked at a worshiper and said, that's a waste. Jesus looked at the criticizer and said, that's the waste. The person up there crying, worshiping, waving their hands, dancing and shouting, Judas says, that's a waste. You do more for your kid when he hit that home run. You do the same thing if your team won the, the state championship. But oh, in the house of God, we just we can't really get that out of whack. But Judas said, that's a waste. And Jesus said, I want to tell you what the waste is. To spend three and a half years with God wrapped in the flesh and it not have any effect on you, that's the waste. Come to church every Sunday and be in the presence of the creator of the universe and you do nothing. That's the waste. No, this is not waste. No, we're not wasting time or energy. The waste is when you think Jesus doesn't deserve it. So I think he deserves it. So I wish you'd just get on your feet. I wish you'd worship him like you've never worshiped him before. Lord, we want to be a worshiping church. We don't want to waste your power. We don't want to waste your glory. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Come on, right now, let your voice be lifted up. Come on. Jesus said, let her alone. Leave her alone. Don't criticize her. She's doing something special. (laughs) Come on, why don't you enter that arena right now? 
Come on, turn this entire auditorium into a worship service. Where am I in terms of worship?